Welcome everyone to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast by Fantastic Geek. My name is Matt and joining me as always is my sidekick Pete. Hey, hey Matt, uh, I am the team captain. Well, I'm good at stuff too. Yeah, yeah, well, we've been told we talk a lot. Uh, anyway, on talking, let's talk about our sponsor this week for episode 102 of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. entitled 084. And our sponsor, of course, is the Peruvian Fall Freedom Movement on Twitter. We had Arab Spring, now it's Peruvian Fall. Listen, man, got to get equal time in uh, a different hemisphere. <laughs> Indeed. Well, Pete, we literally have just wrapped up uh, the second episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, I think in a certain sense, it's kind of if you will, it's the the first episode of of the series. You know, we had the pilot episode, and certainly that was uh, you know that preceded this, and that was widely expected to be picked up to series. But this is kind of the first episode of okay, you have a series, you need to make weekly episodes, get ready for the grind, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, Pete, what's your initial reactions to zero eight four? Thought it was a very effective outing. Again, they've got to have that uh, self-contained first story, even though there was a little bit of a tease last week. But like you said, no secret that they were going to be picked up. Um, wonderful structure in uh, this first uh, regular weekly outing. Uh, in the tease, we have, uh, you know, catastrophe on uh, the S.H.I.E.L.D. airplane, the bus as it's now uh, been christened. And uh, then we get the flashback 19 hours later. We know it's only a matter of time till we catch up to that or by uh, three quarters of the hour exactly until we figure out why the plane is uh, depressurized and uh, policia are uh, flying out of it left and right. Pete, I was a little nervous when it started out with with – you know that kind of action piece of you know there's an explosion because you know they're going to come back to it i was like is this kind of like they didn't know how to start the episode properly uh they felt the beginning was too slow so you know just put a quick you know later there's danger now back to the beginning but you know what it worked and i think it worked just to remind you this is a high action high stakes show but it's also about the characters you have that big opening Ooh, what happened then 19 hours earlier, and it's kind of like sky's moving day. It's kind of like bag one out of the van. Frumpy bag number two thrown out of the van. And it's like, oh, goodbye, old house. Hello, new house. She refers to it to, you know, as moving day and all that. It's just a reminder that this there's action, but it's about characters first. It's the first day of school, Matt. And, you know, as you're going to refer to it in a little bit, I'm going to say this was about, you know, letting each member of the team have a moment in tonight's episode, some a little bit more than others. Um, you've got to introduce them in the pilot, obviously, and now it's a question over the next six episodes. They say seven episodes is key to establishing character. So we've got to find out who they are. We've got to put them in difficult situations and see them grow. And with the puzzle that they solve tonight and getting through the uh, taking over of the bus, um, they had to come together, and they did. Yeah, I thought that it also was kind of an effective way to say, you know, every episode doesn't need to be, you know, in East Los Angeles, a.k.a. the Universal Backlot. It doesn't need to be flying a camera crew to Paris. We can have a really effective 
action story that's you know shot in the jungle which i'm sure is fairly inexpensive i'm sure every backlot has jungle area um and then to kind of spend most of your time on your main set to just say you know this doesn't need to be a bottle episode this doesn't need to be oh we need to save money for the finale so in episode 19 they're going to be trapped in an elevator it's like no we can take these characters anywhere we want including the 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 spacious looking but ultimately you know somewhat uh limited set of the bus and it worked it absolutely worked well how many tv shows on a weekly basis can throw at us the type of scale we saw tonight not only in the jungles of peru and a temple and and all that which again is cgi and we get that in the year 2013 but to have an entire sequence take place on a depressurized plane to have that going on is above and beyond really what we've come to expect on a weekly basis, basis excuse me, from a lot of uh, action shows. I have to admit, too, I kind of was surprised at how trashed the, the bus got. Now, I know it's just a matter of you have your set dressers come in and they put the broken glass. And at the end of the day, somebody sweeps up and, you know, the person whose job it would be to dress the set the next day dresses it as, you know, nice bus for episode 103. But it just it felt appropriately kind of worn in it felt it felt like the the set really had earned that earned that battle damage if you will well matt when you're gonna have the fabulous samuel L. jackson you know slum it on tv and you have an airplane bad stuff's gonna happen to your airplane i don't know slum it who's calling this mother slumming plane a mother slumming <laughs> snakes something yes yes well, you know, clearly Colson and company were tired of these Peruvian snakes on their shield plane. By slummit, of course, I mean, here's a guy that you see almost exclusively on celluloid, on film, and he shows up on TV. And it's just another example of what Marvel and Disney in this synthesis can offer in this outlet. Yeah, I mean, he's clearly a guy who enjoys playing Nick Fury. He enjoys the, the the notoriety that's brought him. I'm sure he enjoys the couple of bucks that's made him along the way, et cetera, et cetera. And I felt like, and, and not to take away from this, you know, the central characters that we have week in and week out, but the discussion had always been, even going back to that that chat that Agent M had had hosted in the summer. You know, what exactly will be the role of some of uh, the larger Marvel universe to shield. How much are they going to reference it? How much are they going to remind us that it's not Bob Downey each week with us Um, to have him there, to have Samuel L. Jackson there to me now opens up the possibility. Are we going to have that every week? No, but to me, it's just essentially put, put TV viewers on notice that you can get, you know, Marvel secret scene caliber moments in shield at the end of episodes question mark in the middle of episodes i don't know you know is it is it the spring and we're saying you know hey uh pete i heard that the secret scene is going to be you know it's going to be bruce banner and boom there he is in the middle of the episode for two scenes consulting you know i don't i don't know that's what this episode did at least in, in, in its concluding scene it just said this is a fully fledged portion of the marvel cinematic universe i made the joke last week you know marvel cinematic universe television division you know to whatever degree that that was their concern that's that that type of moniker uh the presence of samuel l jackson as nick fury in this episode just simply said no there's the marvel cinematic universe 
Sometimes you watch it at the movies. Sometimes you watch it on your tablet. Sometimes you watch it online. Sometimes you watch it on ABC. This is the Marvel Cinematic Universe, period. Or if Samuel Jackson was here, he'd say, mother, blah, 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 blah. Well, listen, this was not a well-held secret, okay? We've been over uh, hashtag well-held for me. Yes, of course. We've we've been over hashtag Spoiler Pete before, okay? And let's remember that Spoiler Pete has level eight spoiler clearance, okay? So already knew this was coming. Um, Deft of uh, Disney and Marvel to drop that at 9.01 in uh, the beginning moments of every other show uh, in the next hour that they're pulling from. And they very heavily hinted, stick around, if this becomes a regular situation where going into that nine o'clock hour and the types of resources and personalities they can bring to bear, they're not just going to win their hour. They're going to win other hours. Yeah. And I mean, for those of you at home that aren't uh, kind of aware of the ratings, the little ratings game that ABC played tonight, essentially, if we hung around for eight to nine and then nine to nine Oh one to watch that, uh, at least the at least the quarter hour, at least nine to nine fifteen, kind of gets that ratings credit. So, so you might see some monster number for the Goldbergs this week, and then next week it'll be like, oh, the episode ended. Oh, okay, well, good night, you know. But um, uh, just just shocking stuff. And Pete, I just want to go back to a comment that you made that you said it was it was well known out there. And I'm not talking about you know your spoiler connections, your level eight connections. To the show's credit. Yes, it was out. Yes, uh, Clark Gregg was on there on Twitter saying, hey, make sure you watch all the way through. Watch to the very end. Yes, Agent M was on there again tonight repeating that. Um, uh, Ming-Na Wen might have said that as well. It was it was out there on Twitter. But I don't think that it was out there in terms of, I don't know, set your DVRs for later or a special extended episode. Uh, I, I certainly could be wrong, but I feel like it was, it was enough of a... Um, like, you know, some of us in the know, like, knew there was something to watch out for. And was was a Nick Fury cameo the low-hanging fruit? Maybe. I'm still amazed that it happened. Don't get me wrong. Kind of like, that was the first place that my my heart and dreams went to. But um, still, it, I think it was kind of like, us cool kids on the Twitter, we knew about it. Or we knew something was going to happen. But did, you know, everybody know about it? I don't think so. Well, here's the effect it creates, Matt. Um, and they have to be aware of this. You're checking when you're watching your TV if you've really got a Blu-ray or you're watching a movie because bringing a bona fide movie star like Samuel Jackson, and that is with all due respect and deference to Clark Gregg and Ming-Na Wen and everyone else on this show, but there's just another level that uh, he brings and when he's able to show up, uh, that's special. And again, will this be an every week type of thing? We're just going to have to wait and see. But I would highly anticipate as we go through two Marvel movies this year, one of which drops in the sweeps period, if we do not get direct crossover between members of those casts, I'd say it's a missed opportunity. I mean, look... Marvel Studios has taught us to dream on a scale 
that, that that I think no one else has before. Maybe that's a bit of hyperbole, you know. I mean, like Da Vinci taught us to dream too. But in terms of this kind of, you know, our 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 TV entertainment properties, um, movie properties, comic book properties, the expanse that we could dream of, it's Marvel than it's everybody else. And and you're right. It's 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 a stunning place that we could be headed. And who better to lead it than the guy that first opened that door? Sam Jackson at the end of Iron Man just opening the door and saying, hey, this universe is a lot larger than you think. Well, he's a touchstone. Yeah. He really is. With that, Matt, I think we're going to head into the debrief here. What I anticipate will be a brief debrief tonight. Um, basically, the idea we transition from the pilot in that Sky, who is effectively us, we're being exposed to this new world, uh, is now consulting for S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, as you stressed before, she's unpacking the bags. We know the plane that she's putting everything on is going to lose uh, pressure, if not uh, completely uh, break up later in the episode. So we're really on the clock. I thought a great uh, touch with the uh, evacuation uh, pamphlet early on as she finds her bunk and then later as a means of uh, saving the day. Yes, the hacker saved the day with the emergency uh, raft there. Pete, did not Antonin Chekhov write uh, the, the rule that became known as Chekhov's emergency flight pamphlet? They did indeed. <laughs> uh, it it so, was a little cumbersome, and I think they changed it to gun. Yes, indeed. A little, little literary reference for you all out there. Um, Pete, in my thoughts on Debrief, I really felt that this episode picked up on a, a possible strand that was floated in the pilot that this the, this bunch of people, these agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., they really are operating essentially as a family. Obviously, you have Melinda May, uh, you know, driving the bus. She's the mom of the group, despite the fact that Ming-Na is both uh, uh, just, you know, lovely and looks you know looks like she hasn't aged a day and also can clearly kick butt but she's kind of i'm the going uh, i'm going hot aunt you you can go <laughs> mom uh thing i'm going you know uncomfortably hot aunt okay fair on, enough uh, on ming na <laughs> uh ward certainly is the the older brother the oldest son of which uh, pete you and i are both so we both know that that heavy mantle of of expectation yes um, and he, i've been shot at twice so i know what it's like to get a little blood on your shirt Wow, I think that's a, that's a story for either off the podcast or people write in <laughs> if you want to hear Pete tell that story. But you have uh, Fitz and Simmons that I kind of look at as almost the twin brother and twin sister. They're the babies of the family, but they're also kind of reliant on each other. They're kind of quirky. They speak their own language, the language of science. Um, and then you kind of have, whether you want to call it the the cousin, the adopted sister, whatever, that Sky, who's kind of you know new to the family and like, you know, there's almost a little bit of a, a some some Brady Bunch action there, you know. Who's the uh, who's the oldest Brady brother? Is it Greg? I'm not sure. Well, the oldest Brady brother and the oldest Brady sister. You know, Fitz is so quick to be like, ah, you can. Here's your bunk. It's right next to mine. You know, we can we can talk through the sheet upstairs in the attic. Um, I kind of Brady get Bunch. more of like a Punky Brewster vibe out of Sky, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> um. And then, of course, who's the dad? It is, of course, Coulson, um, who's just the, the the patriarch to the bunch. 
And, uh, you know, this also is an episode that to a certain degree is about kind of confronting Coulson's, uh, you know, what what Reyes identifies as his midlife crisis. And then I think he calls his, uh, is it his afterlife crisis? Is that Actually, the line? his afterlife, yes, he clarifies. Which I think is something, that particular line is something that we'll discuss more in our level seven segment. But um, I just really dug that it was, it was the, the the slight shading this really is a family that's coming together and it's kind of those familiar family roles despite the fact that it's guns ablazing and is you know sky a secret spy and so forth it's it, it it's nice that they've said you know what just like many another whedon show this is going to be a weird family it's not necessarily going to be a related family but darn it they can all be family too and i dug that well, I will see your family uh, metaphor, but I will raise you on a team aspect, certainly. Um, and this was a test for everyone on the team. Again, in the pilot, that's about bringing everyone together. Um, but not all of them faced a true challenge. And here, everyone on the team faced the challenge. Okay, I'm going to go Colson as coach even to the point where, you know, he kind of let his players sort it out. All right, you guys work it out together. You know, Simmons, you've, you've got, uh, you know, you're, you're actually a rocket scientist. Okay. Uh, Fitz, you know, you've got uh, degrees and things I can't pronounce. Um, he has that faith in them. And even though it is only the second field mission for the, uh, the team of Fitz Simmons, everybody's got to play a role to the point where initially uh, they actually caused some consternation. Ward says he would have actually gotten out of the situation had it not been for having to babysit them. Okay. Even Melinda May is a little perturbed at having to, uh, you know, have two kids on the bus who are not cleared for combat duty. Um, but by the end, you know, Fitzsimmons with, you know, their, their seven, uh, uh, seven uh, magical dwarves there. Um, Dwarven robots. Yeah, we got We got to come up with uh, with a better uh, with a better name for those. As far as you know, we know Sleepy and Bashful at this point. I wonder if they're going to roll each of them out <laughs> at some point. And I mean, let's uh, be PC. They're not dwarves. They're, they're they're little machines. They are. They are. It is politically incorrect to refer to them as uh, as dwarves. They're they're nano beings really is the is the proper way to to refer to them okay much respect to all our listeners this this was all about the teamwork you know and and what apart from being the cavalry and essentially you know she doesn't need to bring weapons because she is a weapon or she'll steal a weapon you know uh melinda may then uh dislocates her wrist to get out of her cuffs okay there's nothing the woman can't do through two episodes rocking purple aviator sunglasses as she's landing in the peruvian wilderness and then dislocating parts of her body to further the cause here on top of having a grudge after they gassed her in the cockpit okay i i really again uh fall back on the team metaphor uh, it was everyone's idea as Coulson uh, presses them at the end to blow a hole in the plane for which he takes all this heat from a furious Nick Fury. OK, but don't lecture me about authority, Fury says. And Coulson has the authority over these people, but he trusts them and he believes in them. And that's some of the most powerful stuff you can ever do with a team is to just let them be who they are 
and have them coalesce and come together. And this has only happened over the course, as Nick Fury points out, of six days. I I still wish that there was a bit more Melinda May. However, it's that it's the slow reveal. What exactly is her is her the the truth of uh, her past in as we were told this time Bahrain. But uh, oh, I'm her- going to tell you, man. Again, spoiler, Pete in the house. Cover your ears if you need to. Okay, wait, She's wait, got- wait, wait, hold on. Just to clarify, is this your theory or is this? Oh, this is theory. This okay, theory, the, but the, this isn't that there's been a, there's been again. a dead drop by the pizza boy at uh, at uh, ABC Studios, right? <laughs> She has uh, reverse traumatic uh, distress disorder in that she has caused problems for other people to the point where she shields herself from the rest of the world. Well, Pete, to be fair, I think that that was kind of implied where it's like, I'm not going to carry a weapon, but I will kill you with yours if there's trouble and I just fly. You know, uh, I'm not doing anything else, but I can also kill you with your weapon if I have to. So I don't know how spoiler that is, Pete. Well, remember, the details always wind up being mundane compared to what the disclosure is, okay, about how she wound up that way. But she's dangerous, and she knows she's dangerous, and she's upset when she has to deploy those skills. The great – it wasn't a conversation. It was it was one-sided. The, the great scene in the cockpit where Coulson is – is uh, talking to her and, and telling her, all right, we got to get, you know, to the containment facility, et cetera, et cetera, you know, and just the steely look on her face that sold it. Absolutely. And uh, just to return to that, that breaking of her own wrist for a moment, you know, Pete, I'm going to make a reference that uh, you won't get and you won't appreciate, but I know our listeners will. That was a real river song type move there. Now, Pete, just for reference, that is river song and not river Tam for those of you nerds playing along at home. But with that, Pete, what is our next segment? Well, now that you're done crying a river, uh, let's uh, open up the folder here on the dossier. And the first group that winds up in our dossier, again, with misdirection being huge, are the Peruvian rebels. (laughs) Yes, and they apparently want at this 084 this um, inexplicable device that has wound up in a temple in uh, Peru in an Incan uh, <laughs> a pyramid. <laughs> okay. um, and it's just not- a question, given that yeah. given that so many people died over this, would you say that it was a temple of doom? It might be. OK, but. You know, this idea here where we're going to cart out one group and, oh, you know, I don't hear gunfire, so there must not be rebels. Okay. It's the policia. Okay. And uh, how that works, I think we can both agree. It was a little less than effective as far as, okay, cue the rebels who were not even really sure are rebels. They were basically designed to get the policia onto the shield plane. Uh, to rig a situation where they would be able to seize this device. Yeah, and I think that the um, the slight warning signs that you might have had are certainly glossed over a bit by the the presence of uh, Miss Reyes, uh, where there's this familiarity. So I think that that kind of soothes the the the, the pushing of that. Um, I think certainly in retrospect, it's like. Faceless rebels forcing everyone to the plane. Later, there will be trouble on the plane. We know that. There's an explosion. But I don't think it necessarily stuck out 
like a sore thumb as you were watching. So it's kind of in retrospect. It's like, oh, A to B and B to C and C to D. Oh, so. definitely. I mean, it, it wasn't telecast to the point, nor was it cliche. Um, but, you know, the beguiling uh, Comandante Camilla Reyes, who has this backstory with Coulson, you knew it had to be more complicated than that. And what do you know? She's about to get her hands on a device that will help her uh, wipe out the Rebel Alliance. Uh now, I hope the Rebel Alliance doesn't find that she has some small flaw in her plan uh, and then does some sort of million-to-one shot against her. Well, hey, you never know. Pete, how did you find uh, the notion that this was, uh, you know, the MacGuffin in the episode, this piece of technology was essentially, uh, you know, return to familiar turf. They're, they're floating its Tesseract technology. Hey, that's like, remember Hydra, Captain America, World War II. It's kind of your your Marvel moment there. And uh, now, Pete, am I getting ahead of myself? Is this level seven stuff? Is this not dossier? You know, you're, you're, you're the director fury of this podcast. So where are we? Remember, we're always going to take a look at the bad guys before we get into theories. And the idea that, you know, the bad guy... Um, has to have something to play with, has to have the stakes. Uh, here, it's the 084 for which the episode is named. Um, it's all about the aspirations. And as Sky made it apparent earlier, you know, the rebels and then the government and what's going on there and the motivations based on what they could get their hands on and how that could change the world. And clearly Camilla Reyes is somebody who has larger aspirations than just being a commandante in the policia. Now, Pete, I, you know, or should I say director Pete, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. I do have a, uh, a decrypted transmission on this very topic asking a question, if, uh, if I may, your directorship. Of course. Uh, Mike Sorensen on Twitter that's uh, Warcry underscore 75, said, we need more Reyes. And he wonders, will this be a recurring villain? So, Pete, I ask you, will Reyes return? The line that we come back to, that I come back to, uh, spoken by Coulson, is that borders are disappearing. So when you rearrange maps, and clearly with this technology, you have the ability to do that, um, I think there's a very real opportunity for her to return. They wound up at this slingshot facility, uh, which, of course, its location is classified and that she is now in the hands firmly of S.H.I.E.L.D. Will she stay there? Could she return for some kind of uh, Loki-esque interrogation scene later on? Listen, man, they, they can play around with that. Um, But I don't think we've seen her for the last time. Well, Pete, speaking of bad guys and bad gals, you know, last week, I, I, I think it was fair to say that uh, I was a bit uh, a bit smitten with Sky. This week, pleh, no, it appears that she is no good. I, I'm now totally Team Simmons, bewitched by her, uh, you know, bewitched by the English Rose. But uh, Pete, that dastardly Sky, is she firmly in villain turf now? I don't think she is. Clearly, the rising tide Uh, is using her. Um, And she may or may not be naive enough to believe their sincerity as far as gathering information 
the idea of social media being used within the world of the show. Um, they mentioned Twitter. Um, now we're having uh, encrypted um, communiques being sent on the very plane from the very plane that uh, she was just on uh, with the rest of the team. Um, so th there's a double agent aspect going on. I think that'll be teased for a little bit as far as what her, uh, where her true loyalties lie. Clearly the idea that Ward floated that he would be the SO for Sky and May, of course, encouraging this tends to bring her a little bit more to the light side, but something's going on with whoever is sending her those transmissions and is she merely gathering intelligence? Is she playing both sides? Is she truly a traitor who's going to, you know, at some point in the season uh, bolt and create tension there? It could go a lot of different ways. And I think those are the best types of stories. It's not only driven in one direction. Well, Pete, now you have me concerned based on what you said that since there really is kind of no true template for where the show is going to go, uh, other than they want it to be kind of as, um, I'll use the word serious. I don't mean serious in terms of dour. I just mean like you treat this like it is, you know, a real universe. It's not kind of say kind of, you know, sitcom-y where, you know, and everything resets at the end. I mean, is this headed towards, you know, does she get killed off? Is this the big, is this the boon from Lost where we say, ah, oh, Sky, you... You you know you you won me over in the first episode, and I was sure that you'd come over to the light side because that's what they do on TV drama. And then no, and in the finale or at some point, you're you know she's kind of revealed to be evil and and pays the ultimate price. Uh, I'm not going to go quite into spoiler Pete territory there and make that a proclamation, but that's now on my radar as a possibility. She might waffle back and forth and just simply go bad, and. Uh, yeah, G. Willikers, if she needs to be replaced by Colby Smolders in, episode, in season two, eh, you know. Well, I, I don't think you're going to bring Colby Smolders in to, to replace this girl. If anything, you know, the, the shoe could potentially be on the other foot. You know, Colby Smolders is a, is a star in her own right. Um, and again, that's nothing against the young lady who plays Sky. But, you know, the proclamation that I'm in with whatever Rising Tide has planned here, for all we know, again, it's misdirection and it's a positive plan. Uh, it's aiding freedom fighters uh, in some place other than Peru or anywhere in the Arab world, uh, whatever it may be. But the rather ominous tone um, with which it was cast leads you to believe there's more to it. Will they kill her off? Well, the one thing you have not seen anywhere in any discussion in public about this show is the idea of stakes from a character perspective. Uh, you know, a Lost or other shows like that would make it very clear and they went and demonstrated it that they would have no problem killing characters off. Um, but this isn't Game of Thrones. This isn't built necessarily on shock factor Although, uh, you know, I wouldn't say killing a regular would be outside of the realm of possibility, but it is entirely too early to be pondering that. Could she wind up on the other side, firmly on the bad guy side? Well, we'll have to see down the road. I just think they're building too much at this point between her and Ward that, um, you know, at least she's not leaving so soon. Oh, I'm certainly not suggesting, you know, it's going to be your November cliffhanger, Sky Dead. But I'm just wondering in the course of doing, 
you know, I mean, I'll guess 20, 22 episodes probably. They're, they're, you know, there's no official uh, season order even for the second half, but um, or, or you know, beyond the, the kind of assumed 13 episodes. Um, but is that something that they're keeping in, the, in their pocket for later in the season? Uh, if they're going to, to do something shocking like that, I think it would be in the second half of the season, in the final quarter of a season. But uh, we certainly shall see. Well, with that, let's take it into our level seven theory segment here. And top of the list here, Matt, why don't you start us off the uh, titular object of this episode? Well, Pete, the name of this episode is, of course, 084. And let's look back to our last 084 as defined in this episode. That was, of course, the uh, the Hammer of Thor, Mjolnir. Mjolnir? Mew Mew indeed, which, uh, you know, we saw in, in uh, I think what they called an extended preview for uh, Thor 2 that comes out uh, in four or five weeks. So just a nice bit of connective tissue there. It's just one of these, we don't know what it is. Last time you sent Coulson out all by himself. This time it's floated out there that this whole, this whole, you know, team that he has might just kind of be the colson sorry that thing happened oops that you kind of didn't do too good and then went to tahiti so is this you know is this just kind of like another potential you know oh who knows what it is yes we find out that's indeed the case they you know 084 is the rather odd code for we don't know what it is an object of unknown origin and for them to finally uh figure it out Okay, that this, you know, we were teased, of course, that it's German technology. However, it's been here for 1500 years. It predates the temple. We find out that it's Tesseract technology, which, of course, Hydra, uh, the Captain America uh, villains uh, had used to power many of their weapons. So as Coulson puts it very succinctly, we have a, a cell which is fueled by pure evil. Uh, on our very expensive uh, and delicate plane that we're trying to get back to uh, restricted airspace and a containment facility. So uh, the idea here that, you know, while there aren't stakes from, we know they're not going to kill characters off this early in the show, other than, you know, uh, some policia who went outside of uh, the airplane there. Um, The plane certainly paid for, uh, the technology and the MacGuffin in this episode. Yeah, it certainly was a nice MacGuffin. I mean, you get those references to to the larger uh, universe. Uh, you get the idea that, you know, there's more of these Tesseracts out there, which I don't think was necessarily something that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has hinted at before, kind of beyond the, you know, the Captain America 2 reference to the, the Tesseract, which is, you know, from uh, from... The, the gods of Asgard. Um, it, it was a nice, it was a nice MacGuffin. And for those of you who, by the way, need the definition for MacGuffin, it is of course a device in a story that it itself has no particular value, but characters place value to it. So you might say, well, this is incredibly valuable. It's like Asgardian technology, fifteen hundred years old in German design. Yeah, but if it just sat there, it wouldn't have done anything. It was that people showed up and fought over it that it that it had value. So much like. R2-D2 and the Maltese Falcon, a, uh, a MacGuffin. Well, it's funny that you referenced the Maltese Falcon. And, of course, maybe the best example of all time of a MacGuffin are the um, Indiana Jones movies, the Lost Ark, 
the um, the Holy Grail, the Crystal Skull, whatever it is. Uh, and I'm I not like, familiar with that third reference, Pete. That yeah, actually well, does it, not exist in my memory. It's an it's it's an underrated uh, Indiana Jones film. But anyway, the idea here that it wouldn't wind up in a warehouse or in a museum, but instead from this slingshot classified facility, it is shot into the sun to be destroyed. I dug that. <clears throat> Not only are they going to protect these things, they're going to destroy them so they don't wind up in the wrong hands, which is maybe the worst overused plot device ever. No, we're going to study it and people will know it's still here. Instead, S.H.I.E.L.D.'s enemies know, okay, dangerous things are out there, but you know what? We'll put the little dome over it and we'll blow it up before we let you get your rotten little mitts on it. Pete, there's a great comment I saw on Twitter, which I did not set aside um, for our decrypted transmissions. I don't even remember if it was directed at us or not. So I apologize whoever deserves the credit for this because it definitely was not said at us. But I think I favorited it. Anyhow, they said, send it into the sun. Isn't that what uh, isn't that what went wrong with Nuclear Man? Of course, a reference to Superman for the uh, is it the quest for peace. Yes. And it's also a crime against humanity. <laughs> that it is. So. Anyhow, um, plenty of other things to chew over as far as uh, level seven theories this week. We have continual teasing out of the Colson resurrection. Um, you know, first the idea that, you know, he was hit by a bullet ish and then matter of factly explains that he was stabbed by an Asgardian uh you know, uh, alien with a Chitauri scepter. But, of course, <clears throat> the magical place of Tahiti heals all. Yes, calling it magical again. Yes, he, he may have mentioned that. Okay. Really, um, you know, quick uh, reference and, and for effect was the idea that an anti-matter matter meteor was off the coast of Miami at one point that S.H.I.E.L.D. also dealt with, something we've not seen in the films so how that was uh, taken care of as well, maybe that could be something that uh, comes to light as the show goes on as well. But it's all about the secrets that we still don't know. Uh, who is this rising tide? What other things are they trying to get their hands on or are they aware of? How are they using Sky? Is Sky using them? Is Sky at the head of it? We don't know. Okay. Um, but that within all of this intrigue, um, they get rid of this device shows you there's got to be other things obviously out there. I appreciated too that the the mystery this week was a thing. It wasn't a, a you know a superhero. Certainly the to whatever degree that there's a bit of a, a, a of a lineage from X Files, you know it needs to it can't be Alien of the Week. It can't be UFO of the Week. It needs to be. Um, a variety of things and now we've seen two completely different things and frankly two completely different episodes and i welcome that um i, I welcome that switch from episode to episode sometimes it's going to be you know sprawling adventure out in in a city other times it's on this you know on the confines of the bus definitely so with that pete should we get to those decrypted transmissions do it up excellent well first is a tweet from jordy griffin uh who says that he really loves this show Really enthusiastic about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and really uh, digging it quite a bit. 
Pete, we also had a really nice review on iTunes. Uh, this from Carl Bluth. I don't know if that's uh, related to uh, you know the Bluth family, but um, uh, Carl complimented us on uh, the in-depth discussion. Uh, this uh, review was posted before our first episode. You know, episode one hundred and one, the pilot had gone up. Uh, he said he was uh, looking forward to it and recommended to all to uh, give these guys a listen. So, certainly, thank you, Carl, for that. Uh, for that review on iTunes, we love, love, love reviews on iTunes. Very much appreciated. And if I could get a chocolate, a frozen chocolate banana, Carl, that would be spectacular. Moving on, we have uh, a tweet from Glenn Curtis, who's uh, a pal back in the uh, Looking Back at Lost podcast days. His prediction for this episode, we'd put a, put a call out there on Twitter, your predictions for what's going to happen. Uh, was flying car Melinda May looking sexy and lots of action? So I guess two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> it ain't indeed. Um, let's see. Moving on. Um, I had mentioned Mike Sorensen earlier with his uh, w- with his uh, comment. He had uh, he had said a while ago um, that he loves our podcast, our episode one hundred and one. He says thanks for the great review of Agents of Shield. Looking forward to future shows, theirs and ours certainly nice uh, indeed high praise thank you uh moving on pete we have a couple of uh, questions here from a friend of the podcast michelle she says i'm just too excited for words but why is colson making up stories about where he was recuperated uh and i'll she has another question there repeat why is he making up stories is he unclear as to his history does he know more than uh than agent hill and firefly reverend doctor uh, what do you think pete I think he knows – I think he's in between. I think he knows slightly more than he's let on, but he does not know as much as they do, as was very clear by Agent Maria Hills. Uh, he can never know dun, last dun, week. Dun. But to the trained eye, and I've watched it twice now, uh, from behind, he very clearly goes to his eye with his finger. He's wiping away a tear when he – talks about this so there's something i wouldn't rule out flashback or maybe if we're gonna go into the moment where you know and and i don't think that's beyond them here in this marvel universe to bring in a, a a film event and for us to flesh it out on tv and see what happens you know maybe we see him taken to the helicarrier uh you know um infirmary and resuscitated and we could have an entire episode or a series of episodes dealing with, well, what happened to Coulson after he was stabbed through the heart by this uh, Chitari scepter. Ooh, and a flashback episode to the Island of Tahiti entitled what Coulson did. Sounds good to me. There you go. Uh, Michelle also says she has two questions. If it was Fury's plane to begin with, Coulson couldn't have fixed it up. And why is Tahiti magical? Well, I think it's code. Um, It may not even really be Tahiti. It may be an implanted memory to cover what he really went through as far as his recuperation. Um, But it's something that brings a pleasantness, obviously, to him rather than the trauma that we felt seeing this beloved character taken out. And Matt, I just flash back on my own to seeing that happen and a little boy in the theater just blurting out, you know, I'm not going to use verbatim words because there's some salty non eight o'clock ABC language in there, but a little kid just yelled out, this ain't right. 
<laughs> Indeed. He said, this is some bull feathers. And, uh, yes. and he was right. And Colson's back. Yes, he uh, knew. He knew indeed. Now, Pete, as we start to wrap up our decrypted transmissions here, uh, we um, we had put out that call on Twitter, as I mentioned, for predictions as to what will happen. We got an email from uh, our pal in the UK who has not yet seen this episode. It airs on Fridays in the UK. Uh, his prediction was oh so close. It was my prediction of the end credit scene. Uh, Nick Fury is found working undercover at a shawarma joint. Nice. Nice indeed. <laughs> And the person who did get it, uh, did get that prediction in uh, with uh, with some, you know, with good good degree of accuracy that it would be Nick Fury showing up. Uh, so he kind of nudges Ian out by a nose was uh, Mike Sorensen, who we've mentioned a couple of times. So, Mike, uh, you, as well as the uh, the agent of the week that we're about to announce, uh, we have a little prize to announce for for you and the soon to be announced agent of the week. Um we, uh, we have on order, we don't have them yet, but we have on order some uh, buttons for the podcast, you know, little like inch and a half, you know, uh, buttons that you can uh, hopefully put upon your lapel as you walk about town as a dandy. And um, when those buttons come in, we'll, uh, we'll be in touch through, uh, I guess, through a direct message on Twitter or if you've emailed us through email to, uh, you know, where you'd like that sent, we'd be happy to, to throw it in the mail. And um, as I said, the buttons aren't here yet. They should be in in my possession uh, at some point next week. We hope to have them ahead of New York Comic Con, which, of course, Pete, you and I will be at. Uh, we have every hope to be at, at the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. panel, which is going to be the probably the second biggest uh, event of New York Comic Con. And um, you can also keep an eye out for us there. But uh, certainly for, for last week's Agent of the Week, uh, Ian... And then for Mike as our uh, as our prize winner, and then I'm about to about to mention the agent of the week. Um, they can all expect some buttons sent their way in the near future. I just want to be clear: this is not a dandy podcast, so wear those buttons with pride, but not as dandies. Indeed. And now, Pete, we get to our agent of the week, and this is somebody who uh, reached out uh, reached out to us on Twitter. That, of course, is Fantastic Geek with a PH. Uh, you can email us, fantasticgeek at gmail.com. Um, but it was Holly Wilson who had said uh, of this show that it has Whedon-y brilliance and one-liners that will be in the Hall of Whedon for years to come. So I think certainly I would agree with that, Pete. Where is the uh, Whedon Hall of Fame, by the way? Is that in upstate New York? I think that, Pete, the Whedon Hall of Fame is in the hearts of anyone who has enjoyed Buffy or Angel or Firefly, went to the movies to see Serenity, uh, who has sung along with, uh, with uh, Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog, who has uh, both laughed at and cursed the presence of uh, Captain Hammer. And that's where it is. It's, it's in our heart. Definitely. So for that, Holly, uh, you will be the uh, hereby declared the uh, agent of the week and uh, you'll have that button coming your way as soon as uh, as soon as they come in also I'll send you a, a direct message on Twitter where uh, our pal Ian has uh, put together a um, an agent of the week uh, Twitter icon that you can use if you want and if you don't I don't know you can maybe print it out and look at it every so often and say ah yes those were the days so Pete certainly fantastic to have heard from uh, from a number of people there's almost kind of one downside to the fact that we do the podcast so quickly is there's not a huge window to be in touch 
about the episode that we're talking about, but certainly people can be in touch anytime. There's no problem for us to maybe start an episode by saying, Pete, before we jump into 103, got an email from somebody about 102, got a, got a comment on the webpage about somebody from the piled episode. Let's, let's get that discussion going. It's, you know, our main focus is the episode of the week, but let's get into the mythology. Let's get into the theories. Let's get into general fan feedback. Just like the agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and unlike the U.S. government, we never shut down. Indeed, Pete. And with that, just a reminder uh, that uh, you can get in touch with us by leaving a comment on the webpage, shieldpodcast.blogspot.com. You can hear your voice in the podcast by calling 732-707-1815 and leaving a message for up to three minutes. Uh, we mentioned the Twitter before. I'll mention it again. Fantastic Geek is our Twitter name. That's Fantastic with a PH. And then fantasticgeek at gmail.com. And uh, Pete, I guess that does it for all the contact info. And uh, I guess that does it for me, basically, for episode 102. I think we've, we've covered everything from, uh, from the nose of the plane to the tip of the tail. Well, how about our individual uh, Twitters there, Matt? Pete, I do forget what a, what a Twitter liberty you are. <laughs> what is your Twitter name? I can be found on Twitter at Peter J. Ketelar, P-I-E-T-E-R-J. Ketelar, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. Where can you be found, Matt? I can be found at uh, Looking Back Lost, spelled out just like Looking Back Lost. So with that, Pete, I will say adios to all our, uh, all our listeners, and uh, I will await your famous final word. Yeah, we're going to have to kill the fish tank. 